never say die. I'm not a goonie. I want to go home. For God. But still, don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Brick Pit, the podcast you didn't know you didn't need. I'm your host today, Jason, and with me is the master of the truffle shuffle, Josh. Nice. Yes, I also have a glandular problem. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Way to punch down, Jason. <laughs> and also joining us is the strangest of the Stranger Things, Adam. Hey, glad to be here. In today's episode, we're going to talk about those movies, uh, mostly from our childhood, that where the the children take over and become the ones who save the day or take charge and be number one in the story. Like uh, Children of the Corn. Oh yeah, that's that's like Lord the, of the Lord of the Flies. Te- technically, <laughs> that fits in. Yeah, yeah they both do actually. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about movies where the, the kids take over. You know, this is kind of a a common theme throughout cinema. You know, Hal Roach had the Little Rascals shorts and all that, but they were mostly dealing with, you know, childhood bullies and stuff like that. Kids versus kids. And then you, of course, have the sitcom trope of the children, you know, trying to maybe help out in a situation that the adults are in and all that kind of stuff, but doing it in a childish way and Therefore, it's ineffective. But uh, we're really talking about the ones where the kids kind of step up and they do all the things that the adults would usually do in those situations. I think we have to talk about, like, in the 50s, it became very popular in B-Cinema for the juvenile delinquent stories, where you actually started showing teens doing things adults do, you know, getting in trouble with the law and stuff like that. And that kind of escalates, but... The ones that people mostly think about that is, of course, stuff like E.T. and Goonies from the 80s. And that is, of course, the main impetus behind the Stranger Things Netflix series. But it also pulls a lot from stuff like horror and stuff like that. And we want to talk about that. So I just want to ask you two, what do you think are kind of like some of the main aspects of these types of films that make them so popular? Before we start, that you mentioned like the fifties and the the teen rebels or whatever that that made me think of. I know it was the sixties, but uh, Steve McQueen as the fifty year old teenager in the blob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually 
<laughs> he's like got gray hair. He's like, I'm just some rough dude. He's like, no, dude, you're perfect on high school girls. You're 50. Like, <laughs> Hold on. Before we go fight this alien, I got to make sure I take my Aspen regiment. So. <laughs> you use your AARP card to get into this movie theater, sir. You're, you're not, that, that is often, you know, if, if we're on the, on the production side, there's right. lots and lots of people in their 20s play down because it's, it's easier if they're actually an adult. They don't have to have their, all the rules of having like tutors on and parents and, you know, limited so time. You get, they can so cheat. you get, yeah, 90210 is pretty famous for having 30 year old teenagers and <laughs> some, some more obvious than others. The adults always have to, are either absentee or incompetent or some combination of both. So, because it's it's like the horror films, yeah. It, but it's like the horror films now. Like the first thing you have to do is get rid of the cell phone. You have to figure out like why there's no cell phone in these movies. You got to figure there has to be a reason. You know, oh, my parents are away this weekend, or they're right. too busy at work, or the parents are the victims that the kids have to rescue. That's the other. Like they could be competent parents or caregivers or whatever but they're also wrapped up with the bad guys and the kids have to come save the day you know yeah yeah Un unbeknownst yeah so I, that to me is the the big thing because the kids have to be propelled into a larger world into the unknown whether it's kind of adulthood or like supernatural or something but that they're ill-equipped to handle so right. and we also have to mention sometimes the adults are the problem Right. Adults yeah. are always the problem. Don't trust anyone over 30. Except for us. <laughs> that is kind of a, that you bring that up, you know, we're the tail end of Gen X, you know, Josh and I. And that's literally what we were raised on in, you know, popular media and everything. Don't trust anybody over 30. Don't trust authority. Don't trust corp corporations. And now you look at it and everybody's telling everyone on Facebook, where they are and what they're eating, what books they're reading. <laughs> it's really kind of a weird turnaround from the paranoia that we were you know, marketed and sold. I don't trust me. Yeah. I'm over 30. I don't so. trust you either. <laughs> well, hey, so we yeah. hadn't sold out. <laughs> <laughs> My kids don't trust me. <laughs> that means you trained them up in the right in the way is what's going That's on. Right. Right. So why do you think that these things, other than, you know, of course, nostalgia now that we're adults, why do you think these movies kind of were so popular with us? At least a lot of the ones in the what 80s, I guess. It was that weird period where there was a lot of studios trying to attract adults to watch a not quite kid cartoon movie, but something in between. It was what would now be like highbrow PG movies, I guess. But back then there was a really, it was hard to find that category where it was a movie that parents would think was funny as well as the kids. Kids see themselves in it, right? That's what they're there for is because they see themselves and the other kids. But the parents Yeah, are there it's, it's, it's a power fantasy for, right. for kids. You're right and, you know, you're equipped to take on big right. things. Although I think another trope of these, just off the top of my head thinking kind of through we need an adult like there's a theme of at some point they're like crap we need an adult <laughs> we're in over our heads you know like, that was that, studio mandated BS, that was, man. those kids had it handled that was the fed, that was the feds coming in <laughs> don't ever let an adult tell you what to do <laughs> that's communist propaganda we're gonna have to switch that up <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there, Adam, because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, not necessarily that it was made 
for adults. I think the opposite is true. You know, especially, like I said, in the 50s, they started realizing that teenagers had a lot more buying power when it came to film and entertainment. And I think by the 80s, that that kind of grew into even younger demographic. And we talked about on the Richard Donner episode, like the Goonies, they were taking something that children considered serious, but that adults don't. That it's, you know, when you get up in years and get older and realize that moving's not a really big thing when you're a kid, it's the destruction of your world. But it was taking those things and looking at them seriously and looking at children as being serious characters and doing the things that children do, which includes cursing at times. Well, and I think another thing that's interesting is like the better of these types of films, there's always the adults are almost just like there's a story in parallel going on. There's something larger going on with them. And that's oftentimes why they're not able to be involved is because they're involved with their, but there's, it's like lifting of the veil for the kids of like, you know, Hey, mom and dad fight. Mm-hmm. Um, bad things happen. People have to move because of jobs. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's things that we don't like, that, but we don't have control of, and our parents don't have control of as well. That's, that's actually a pretty, that's pretty big a good theme. Point. Is the is the parents getting divorced? It's the parents who's if I don't do this one thing, I'm going to lose my job, or I've already lost my job, and we're in trouble financially. Or the real world problems seen through the kids' lens. Written. That's it's an interesting observation. Well, and I think. Spielberg probably handles it the best in his films. You can read them, his his more kid-centric films, from both sides of the fence. E.T., we've talked about that before, like, you know, like the... It's about when, divorce. Well, right. yeah, and it's and it's about it's about losing your family pet. But it's also no, like... No, no. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. Up. You said this twice before. Yeah, I'm not going to let you say it again. Anyway, E.T. is the dog. dog. He's not the family dog. He doesn't get run over by the neighbor's car. He doesn't get in the garbage and eat something that he wasn't supposed to. That's right. But Elliot doesn't have to leave. Yeah. Oh, shit. He has to leave because saying as much as he loves Elliot and everything, but because of the connection they have, if he stays, he's going to be hurt. And in turn, he's going to hurt Elliot. Anyway, that wasn't the point I was going to. The point I was going to was the man with the the scientist guy that, like, as a kid, you see him as, like, being really scary. He's actually correct, like, by quarantining them because E.T. could have some kind of alien COVID, you know. And he's, like, always been interested in and believed in extraterrestrial life. But he's not a bad guy. But as a kid, you see him as, like, this monstrous figure. Yeah, but- I love the fact also in that movie, like the identifier of him before you see the the whole character himself is the fact that he's got a bunch of keys. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it's, which is like coded adulthood. <laughs> <laughs> the more keys you have, the more adult you are. <laughs> and he had a bunch of keys. So Cosmo he was Kramer. like Cosmo Kramer with his big. <laughs> <laughs> they take the children's feelings seriously. And I think that's a main reason why it kind of connected with us as kids and we kind of kept going with it because a lot of kids movies just kind of all geez all shucks kids a lot of time and so treating them like actual characters and people i think kind of is something that we notice because as you'd mentioned before you know this about things that happen in real life children are a lot more observant than people think they may not understand what's going on but they see it and just might not be able to process it and i think these films kind of help with that as well 
All right. So why don't we go ahead and get into some picks? Uh, Adam, how about you? First up is one that I kind of think is a classic in this, is which is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was a quiet Saturday morning. Zelensky, give it a rest. It's Saturday. Professor Wayne Zelinsky was hard at work on his new invention. This thing works. It'll put us right up there with the invention of electricity. That didn't quite work. Did you get the machine to work? A few more bucks to get out. Then something quite unexpected happened. Where are the kids? I haven't seen him since I left this morning. It shrunk the kids. Nick, what happened? It works. Diane, I got something real important to tell you. Are you trying to tell me the machine works? Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids. And the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. Threw them out with the trash. Ah! What? They're in the backyard. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Last Frontier. Dad can fix us, right, Nick? Ah! I'll tell you their size. It's a jungle out there. Now, while the professor is looking for the kids, we just gotta keep our eyes open. They're taking matters into their own hands. I say that, and it's ours. They better behave themselves. Something's very weird here. What is it? Rick Moranis is Professor Wayne Zielinski. Are you saying that that machine blew, blew up? up my kid? No, 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 no. If the machine no. had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Wayne, did you report some missing children? Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? Honey, I shrunk the kids. We're all the size of boogers. Dad, don't eat me! Nineteen eighty nine, Rick Moranis. The memorable scene for me is the giant ants <laughs> and, and the huge drops of water. You know, this is an example of like Rick Moranis's character is an inventor who has put all of his eggs in this basket of being able to create this miniaturizing machine. His success depends on the success of this, and he's going to lose his livelihood or you know the dad's in trouble is the premise, and so he's highly distracted. The machine works. The kids get shrunk. And then they have to kind of fight their way. You know, they're a quarter inch tall and the world is the same. And they have to fight insects and pets and stampedes of ant-like elephants and sprinklers in the yard. And it's high adventure. There's romance. There is romance. It's a very 80s teen light comedy. There's like no controversy about this movie other than it might be at the time. I think most people considered it kind of a middling movie. It's sort of a classic Disney-esque you know, it was better than Flubber or whatever. Like the, it's in that vein of of all the honey eyes. It's the best. It is, there is definitely a steep curve <laughs> downward <laughs> after the subsequent installments. It was really forward technically. Oh yeah, yes. great special effects. What? Well, yeah, and, that's that's fair. But at the same so, time, it it was a very popular movie. I mean, it was yeah. a huge hit. I would say it's a good movie. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's it's kind of tropey. It's like, well, yes, because this was it became the template. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, it's like a I'm stealing this quote, but if it were a B movie, it's a B plus movie, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's it's a pretty good for for the genre that it, it occupies. It was actually. I, really I mean, cool. I would say it was one of the high water marks, honestly, because yeah. because technologically it was really a huge yeah. step forward in a lot of films on on the fx level owe to what they were doing rick moranis was like 
at the height of his power before mm-hmm. he became a tyrant and had to be brought down. <laughs> before Darth Helmet took over. Yes. <laughs> Doing his Rick Moranis thing, you know, I mean, just he was basically his character from uh, from Ghostbusters with, mm-hmm. a, with a little more sense about him. If yeah. But I will have to say, be- at the same time, you know, like the scene where the ants die. Where's Andy? Andy! There. He looks hurt. Oh! He saved my life. It's going to be okay. I saw that in the theater and like everyone in the theater at that time was transfixed on it. Like it, it's something that hits emotionally. It's not just the spectacle of it. Yeah. And there's a lot of interpersonal relationships and stuff that go on in there. It was, you know, I, th- I think it's a good movie. I wouldn't call it middling. Yeah. yeah so the criticism. Your cynicism makes me sick, sir. The, the, <laughs> the criticism, I would say, if if any, it is a great movie that holds up today. It's worth watching with your kids. It doesn't have much at stake. There's not really any real danger. I mean, maybe the lawnmower scene. Other than that, there's never real meat in each of the scenes. They resolve very quickly. There's not anything scary happening, which is fine. It's within the Disney brand. It's it's meant to be that, especially the way 80s Disney. The plot kind of meanders a little bit, you know, but again, no more than any other kind of in this genre uh, of film plot is there's not much to well, we got right. across the yard it's, yeah, basically. <laughs> like it's, yeah. <laughs> basically it's falling down for kids <laughs> <laughs> that's my one line pitch anyway okay. I, i'm waiting that's for it. when josh actually pitches falling down for kids to the studio <laughs> i just did that's <laughs> called honey i shrunk the kids this is a very good disney movie like i said it was very popular at the time and i think it did exactly what it's supposed to do i think a lot of the problems that we have like looking at us now and even critics at the time is understanding that the main audience isn't adult sure is children. You can get away with flubbing a, a few things here and there on that that you couldn't for an adult film. I think it does exactly what it wants to do for its audience and the audience that it they made it for accepted it wholeheartedly. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that it stands up. There's really not a lot of like hijinks movies that I enjoy kind of like this. And this is one that even now I'll watch. You know, do you have hijinkophobia? I have hijinkophobia, yeah. We have a club. It's... <laughs> We're all very serious. Known with the last name Howard Allowed. <laughs> that's prescription and that's illegal. All right, Josh, why don't we go to your first pick? So I know Adam just watched this for the first time, amazingly. And before we talk about it, I need to say that I hold this film in esteem above Goonies, above E.T. This is like the kids are in charge film of all. And if you don't like this film... You're not on the podcast. You're not gaming with us anymore. You can erase <laughs> my contact from your phone. That is Monster Squad. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. 
Naughty virgin. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, look at that big, scary monster! What's happening to a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something's out there that's killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's going to do a thing about it but us. Soon the creatures of the night shall rule the world. Real monsters? Us? Midnight in the world, remember? Maybe we can be like Mask Squad and Stingy. Two Mask Bombs. Yeah, 235. Big back up. Hurry up! Don't you see it's all true? By midnight. You guys! Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone. Why is Fat Kid fat? <laughs> In the time when you called the Fat Kid Fat Kid. Like, yeah. That's a little on the nose, but you know, kids are stupid uh, and mean. Fair. It actually has been uprated. I don't know if you knew that or not. When I rented it, it's now, even though it's rated, I think, PG or PG 13, because of language. It's there's some language. Plus, there, yeah. There's some language that's that's that is no longer acceptable to sense modern sensibilities. I would yeah. say it wasn't really then acceptable either, then, but, but well, it kind of was. This definitely yeah, I mean, is an <laughs> 80s PG 13. Anyway, that notwithstanding, it is a movie that sets out exactly it achieves exactly what it set out to do. I think it does more. I think it elevates itself above most of these types of films. Okay. <laughs> This so, is a Shane Black's first script. Yeah. So the premise is the, the universal monsters are real. There's this kid and his buddies have a monster club. They're the monster squad. And they just draw pictures and crap of monsters and make monsters up. And Pictures uh, of monster crap. Crap on monsters. <laughs> it gets real. It gets real weird real quick. Scatological but, identification of <laughs> monsters is very important to them. So Dracula's back and he's getting all the monsters together and these kids have to figure it out and stop them. The only real universal monster verse that there is, is the monster. It's got Uncle Rico as the werewolf. Yep. That right there makes it the best movie ever. The reluctant werewolf. Yeah, the reluctant. Yeah, he doesn't want to be a bad guy. Please lock me up. That scene was hard. If you, I watched that movie when it came out, I was 10. Yeah. That was hardcore. <laughs> Uncle yeah. Rico goes into the police station. He knows he's about to turn into a werewolf and he's screaming to lock, you know, you got to lock me up. He steals a gun from a cop and fires it up in the air. And so the cops just like, you know, he does. Unload on him. Yeah. yeah. He does. He does suicide by a cop trying to stop himself from becoming a werewolf. And it doesn't work because. Ain't silver bullets. That's right. <laughs> You would you could join the monster squad. It was fun to me. It did a really good job of picking up all of the goofy monster lore. Second way to kill a vampire. Mm, I give up. Daylight. 
sunlight. <laughs> Fat kid, what other kind of light is there during the day? Go away, Pete. Okay, question two. Is Frankenstein the name of the monster or the guy who made him? The guy. Right. Can't you read? Mom says you have to let me in the club or else it's prescription. That's discrimination, jerkoid. Prescription's drugs, which are on if you think you're getting up here. Come on, son. I know about ways to kill a werewolf. Silver bullet? And? That's it. Shoot him with a silver bullet. Nope. Sorry, Rudy. <laughs> okay, so what's the other way? What? Second way to kill a werewolf. Um, car crash? Accident with power tools? Old age? Falling out of a window? Onto a bomb? If you're a dude of any age, really, you've ha you have also <laughs> picked that information up. Like, silver bullet. If you're listening to this podcast, yeah, you know you how to know. kill a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know. You smother like, him to death with way too know. much attention. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce him to your family. That's the aware wolf. <laughs> and it was fun to have all of the, like, Dracula and the mummy, one of each. It was like a perfect Halloween trope. Like if you were going to just pick the standard characters for Halloween. It's also like postmodern before everything is postmodern and meta because there's right. the whole meta commentary on how do you kill a werewolf. Right. And it even says, you know, throw him out of a window onto a bomb. And that happens later in the film. <laughs> and then he, he blows up and he comes back together. It's like as a kid, like I was like, man, that's exactly what they said could happen and he would survive. <laughs> how, did they know? How, did, how did that happen? <laughs> I think you're forgetting like the most important fact that they revealed about Wolfman. The Nard situation? Yes. Wolfman's got Nard. That's like the rosebud of our generation. Wolfman's got Nard. <laughs> I've never seen this before. I caught it at the age I am now. It, I may have been at the age of full enjoyment. I can remember what I would have felt like if I saw this when I was 10 or 11. Like I would have been Look, all over, you know. It showed how weak the creature from Black Lagoon is. Right. You just, they just straight shoot him. Unload on it. Next. Dude can't, dude can't stop bullets. <laughs> One of the standout scenes to me is they need to get Van Helsing's diary translated, and it's in German, so they go to yeah. the scary German guy. And mm -hmm. It turns out to be this nice old man, and you know they'd been afraid of him and stuff. And He knows a lot about monsters. Yes, that, at 10 years old, was like one of the heaviest things I'd ever seen. Did you, so get, like, it? Did you get the reference when you... I did, I okay. did. I may, you know, I might have been an outlier, but Horace says, you sure know a lot about monsters. And he says, I suppose I do. And when he's closing the door, you can see the his number tattoo from when he was in a concentration camp. And that's like right. the kind of reveal that as like adults he's not will get. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's really good writing. This, this Shane Black guy might do something with his life. <laughs> <laughs> I think also going back to what you had mentioned earlier, there's also the fact that the main character, like his mother and father, they're not getting divorced, but their relationship is very rocky. Right. It's a very unvarnished look at the parents' marital issues. It's uncomfortable, even on rewatching, like rewatching as an adult. It's like, damn, that's that's legit, like <laughs> marital problems. That's like full on drama. And it's like ancillary to what's going on in these kids' lives. But that's kind of. You know, kids have to deal with that stuff. You got to deal with the fear of monsters and mom and dad fighting sometimes. And it also shows like how close him and his father were. Like they had a really good relationship. 
Because mm-hmm. he, he did tell his kid, he's like, well, you guys going to a fancy restaurant tonight? And the dad's like, no, we're supposed to go see a marriage counselor. Like, he just straight mm-hmm. up says, that's what we're doing. But then dad does it. <laughs> uh, and and the, the dad had a level of awareness of the slasher film that I do my kids like animes that they watch. <laughs> like, Isn't that guy die in the last episode? No, dad. <laughs> He's like, I can't keep up. I'm old. Let me watch some old Dragon Ball Z's where a fight takes eight episodes. That's why there's 300 episodes in a series season. So yeah, so Monster Squad, I think, is to me, is is like the end-all, be-all of these films. The script is like insanely tight. There's no wasted. Like, everything is a setup. Yeah. You know, everything's a Chekhov's gun. It, it's perfectly executed. It's funny. It's got heart. You know you teared up when Frank gets pulled into the vortex. All right. And she throws her doll. If you didn't cry at that, I wasn't going to say you're, you're a monster. So that's the finale scene with this vortex opening up. Mm-hmm. There's a pickup truck about 40 feet away, and it gets sucked into the vortex. Because it didn't believe. 20 feet away is a six-year-old girl with a bench that's not nailed to the ground or anything. It's just oh, a, you it, saw that it was not nailed down? Because it flipped over. It flipped over backwards. But she's 20 feet away. So this truck gets pulled in. But this They didn't have their parking brake on. (laughs) (laughs) This is all a diversionary tactic. We can see your eyes are still puffy from when you watched it earlier. Sure. Why why you got to be like that? Frankenstein's monster gets yanked in. and That's sad. But I'm all the time like, oh, no, the girl's got to go, too. She's going to go in, too, because... Look, there goes an oak tree that was behind her that's been uprooted. And it, had, it had been raining a lot, so the <laughs> soil was... You, you didn't pick up on all the nuances of the script. And then the like the boy gets drug in, and he fights off because Van Helsing comes out from the vortex somehow. Yeah, because he's Van, he's Van freaking Helsing. So he frees him from Dracula, and the boy is maybe 10 feet from the vortex, and his friend... Let's go of the handrail he's holding onto vertically, mind you, mm-hmm. to go over and then drag his friend back to the handrail because we live in a world. Did you see where... how? Did you see how far apart their legs were? <laughs> <laughs> they were they were bracing against it. You're just trying to find something at this point. So back <laughs> to my earlier point about how adults criticize movies made for kids. Okay, uh, I mean the name of the podcast is the Brick Pit. I'll just say. That. <laughs> yeah, the brick pit, not the salty old geezer okay. who won't let kids have fun. Not the magic vortex that has its own physics. <laughs> How do you know what force is of a magic vortex? They're, Maybe it's especially against the, the innocent heart of a child. That's uh, which has the density of a dying star. It cannot be dragged across the lawn. That's that's what it is. That must be it. Come on, man. Is she a virgin? That was a clever twist. Sure. And then the girl saying he there was Steve, but he didn't count. He didn't count. <laughs> I, I will admit I laughed at that. That was pretty funny. Yeah, this is very much the you're about to go into puberty era film as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of good kids swearing in this movie. I will say that. Like they make up kind of funny ways to say swear words, which always kind of cracks me up because it was done in a way that like kids would actually do it. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> like if you ever heard well, of, like a I, sixth grader cussing, it's that. I like that they had a plan. I like that kind of stuff in movie where like the everyday person has to go up against something to like they stole the silverware from the mom's house mm-hmm. and he, he was in shop class and he made the bullets. <laughs> like he's like, yeah, where to get the gun belt? It's like his dad had a, a reloading machine. I mean, sure. you don't think that that kid's dad made his own bullets. <laughs> 
15 year old who smokes a pack a day who wears a weather jacket yeah he's gonna find a reloading machine no problem (laughs) (laughs) one's gonna fall off a truck for him or something he just bought it with all his money he got from selling weed (laughs) they had a plan of attack other than the than the magic vortex it had an internal consistency yeah, that's fair. It was a, it was an okay movie. I didn't hate it. I liked it. I'll, I'll say that. Now we know who the real monster is. Three, three and a, <laughs> three and a quarter stars out of five. That's what I'd give it. Adam was the real monster all along. That vortex would have sucked you up because you have a black heart, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you were the vortex. You know what I really liked about this movie, and I'm not. I don't mean this to be mean, but it was it was short. It was the right length of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go out of these eighty late eighties kind of B ish movies. They go too long. They overstay their welcome and I I don't know this if this was just perfect. A, if that's a product of like films I think have gone too or too long now. I really do. Cause yeah. I find myself like watching a film and then there's like, Oh my god, we're still watching? Like it's over. <laughs> you Wrap did what you had to do. Like it's very much like Return of the King. Yeah. Like, all right, it's fade to black. It's like six months later. It's like I don't care. They did what they were going to I don't care what happens to them now. We're done. I've got to pee, Peter Jackson. Wrap <laughs> yeah. this up. The, story, the story's over. Well, yeah, they, we have kind of lost the 90-minute the movie. Men in Black, that's right. a movie that's yeah. 90 minutes, and that's exactly as long as it needs yep. to. I think a lot of it has to do with the rise of people like us. The amateur that spends hours on YouTube deconstructing, like, why didn't they show when uh, um, when he walked from his from the, his car into the mall? And so, like, filmmakers, <laughs> like, we better show him walking in because people don't we won't get that he's in his car and now he's at the mall. And so, you get bloated films that are like overly explaining things. And it's like sometimes it's okay to go from event to event to event yeah. in these types of films. 90 minutes, it's, it's a roller coaster ride. Jurassic Park's a good example because the, the new Jurassic Park films drag, you know, or Jurassic yeah. World. Oh, yeah. And, and they're like, it's like, come on, man. Like, get on the carousel, have the cartoon tell us about DNA. Let's see some dinosaurs. I think a lot of it is also that movies and cinema has become spectacle at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they feel that they have to give people like their money's worth to come in. Yeah, actually justify paying, you know, ten fifteen bucks for a ticket. One of the things I read about this movie and getting ready to watch it was that, and I guess in two thousand seven they came out with a twentieth anniversary disc, and it had a five disc retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> it's like six hours of commentary on a ninety minute movie. <laughs> I thought that's 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 funny. <laughs> Four of those hours are me. Thank you very much. I do a frame by frame analysis. And him talking about his drive to the studio to record it as well. <laughs> I, I woke in, up. I, uh, in, each, uh, <laughs> in each scene, I explain the density of each object as related to the special vortex. I see those <laughs> books up there on the wall. They're science books, so they're gone. They're going that's into why, the vortex. That's why I, I didn't understand is because I haven't seen the <laughs> retrospective yet. That's oh, so this is Shane Black's first script, and he was working with Fred Decker, who directed it, who did another great movie called Night of the Creeps. Mm-hmm. Great horror movie. If you haven't watched it, you need to give it a shot. And so they had high hopes for it, and it bombed like terribly. So one of the things I read was that the marketing was bad. Is that what? Yeah, was? part of yeah. it. 
Universal was kind of pushing this to be like the resurgent of the, you know, the Universal Monsters once again to kind of bring those back. But it's one of those that I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on HBO. That's where a lot of people saw it and that's where it got its cult following. And then it kind of disappeared. And then again in the 2000s, it comes back out on DVD and it explodes in popularity again. You know what a great part of the movie is? Nobody questions that the fat kid had pizza in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> This like th- that's not a brick pit for anybody that he had he had a garlic pizza in his pocket in case he got hungry later. What it does that a lot of movies don't do in this vein is at the end the army shows up. Yeah. Cuz like the youngest kid like wrote them a letter in crayon on like construction paper and they took Dear it seriously. Dear army guys, there are monsters. <laughs> and they they unironically say where are the monsters, son? <laughs> yeah, they mobilize on that. That was back when American military took things seriously. <laughs> they thought it was code for commie. <laughs> As a parent, you know, you identified with the scene where you, the dad comes in all tired and the kid's talking about mummies being in his closet. <laughs> he <just> like <laughs> swings open the door and doesn't even look in. Oh, it's a monster. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, if we had had a mummy in our closet when my kids were that, that age... That's what I would have done. You would have opened the door, saw the mummy, and went, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were crazy. I was going to call the psychiatrist in the morning, but there's a mummy. We can take care of this. In the morning. Daddy's I waited back. my whole life for this. Deal with it when my alarm goes off. All right. Uh, I want to talk about my first pick, which is actually a remake of an older movie, Invaders from Mars. David Gardner just woke up to a nightmare in his own backyard. But no one will listen. We landed right back there, right behind the hill. No one will believe. I told you, he needs psychiatric help. And soon, no one will be left. Dad? Are you okay, Dad? Fine. Because something strange is happening to the people of Willow Creek. Everything's fine now. And David Gardner is about to find out why. David! I'm gonna find my mom and dad! I'm David Gardner! Films presents Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars. There's no place on Earth to hide. Now, the original was in 53. Uh, This is a remake directed by Toby Hooper, written in part by Dan O'Bannon. I think it's PG-13 at the time. This is a good kids horror movie it's very much that power fantasy that we talk about during this film a kid sees of course ufo comes down and lands on the other side of a hill behind his house and his dad played by timothy bottoms who's best known for being george w bush impersonator on you know that's my bush and a bunch of stuff in the early aughts he goes over to investigate and he gets mind controlled by the martians so what you can infer from that is that George W. Bush was controlled by Martians. <laughs> That's how he blew up the levees. <laughs> <laughs> Martian technology. It's been a while since anybody's done a good George W. Bush bad impersonation. Hey, I've been 
I've been taken over by them, them Martians. That wasn't an, that wasn't an invitation. <laughs> that was more of a bad Elvis Presley impersonation. Isn't that what? Isn't that George W. Bush? Yes, they're the same person, actually. A new conspiracy theory has been unlocked. <laughs> the Martians took Elvis and turned him into George W. Bush. <laughs> When Elvis met Nixon in the Oval Office, he got this idea that he wanted that that was where he was supposed to be. See, when George H.W. Bush killed JFK, right? He's starting to figure he, it out <laughs> at the CIA. El, Elvis was on the grassy knoll. That's he what, had, hold on, hold on, hold on, guys, hold on, guys. I'm getting a text from our NSA handler. <laughs> he says, "Cut it out, guys. Too hot. Funny. Too hot." <laughs> You don't understand how much paperwork is involved in this if you keep talking. And that's why George H.W. Bush adopted (laughs) Elvis and changed his name. I mean, that's in the history books. Okay, now he's texting, we got the kill order for Adam. (laughs) So, Invaders from Mars. I don't really remember this movie. I think I watched it. (laughs) I have seen it, but it's been a long time. It is. I've I'd seen it since like the HBO days. It's a good kids horror movie. Like I said, it's the power thing. He can't trust adults and all that because, like I said, the Martians are taking over. What I really like about it is like they actually give the Martians a plan. Like his dad works for NASA at the local base, so they take him over because they're going to send a rocket up to Mars, and they don't want people to find out Martians are below the surface blah 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 and they take over the guy who's head of the phone company that does all the lines and everything so they cut the lines because in the 1980s you didn't have the cellular telephone <laughs> you actually have physical landlines that you had to make telephone calls through and if you cut those off people couldn't make those he, he winds up like working with the school nurse played by karen black who i didn't realize until doing research for this was the actual child actor's mother really uh, yeah i didn't know but there are moments when like you know the aliens are coming through and all that and like she's being hysterical and like he's the calm one Mm -hmm. and like he's the one that keeps calm he's the one that keeps coming up with ideas and everything throughout the movie because it's kid power fantasy he winds up going to the military you know hey martians are invading and taking over people's bodies like all right let's fight those martians it's not a you know when you watch an adult it's not a great movie but like I said, I think it's a great kid for a movie because it has those aspects that kind of make you afraid as a child. Like, you know, the adults working against you, even your own parent, they show that he actually has a good relationship with, you know, when they turn against you, that's like a really terrible thing for a child to have to deal with and think about. And there's also one of the things that Usually doesn't happen in movies like this, but they actually take over a kid as well. One of the girls in his school is, is taken over. You know, she's already the teacher's pet, but then in this, his teacher's been taken over. Then this little girl, so the little girl's going out and doing the bidding of the teacher and the Martians and all that kind of stuff. It's one of those that really kind of, I think, plugs into a lot of the fears that kids have about how the world works and sometimes works against them. well you tapped into something i think that's one of the reasons why like the kid horror film is so easy it's such a fertile ground because being a kid is terrifying <laughs> i don't yeah. know i don't know what your experiences were but i was scared more as a kid than ever as an adult and i've been in probably i know i've been in more dangerous situations as an adult <laughs> and never had that that what i call that kid fear just that primal like and then you're like scared of shadows on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Hair stands up on the back of your neck all the time. Yeah. Like, Everything spooks like, you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you're not prepared to deal with stuff like that at that age. 
Plus, you also have an imagination that loves to run wild. Right. And life hasn't worn you down to the point where you're not scared of anything because you're just ready for it to be over. Oh, I mean, well, welcome to kid, kid, kid movies. <laughs> <laughs> that actually would be a pretty good movie is you basically do you do this film, but you do it two movies in one. One is the hijinks of the kid in this in these scenarios where the whatever bad things happening and the one is the reality with the adult and the the other side of that is the adult who's just leaning against the door jam smoking a cigarette just like trying to wake up with a cup of coffee they have to <laughs> like just so, the kid's like dad like, dad you got a cup he's just like okay let's Glenn go Gary, glenn <laughs> ross is like yes. just like wedged into the boxer squad. <laughs> squad and wolf of wall street it's, it's in the same movie so, <laughs> never bullets are for closers i just had this thought we we're talking about childhood being scary like all these same kind of like tropey ideas yeah play exactly the same way in bubba hotep except it's on the other end of the spectrum they're yes, old, and so people don't listen to them, and nobody believes crazy, their stories, yeah. <laughs> and they have to—they're ill-equipped to handle it on their own. It's—it's it's just flipping the whole thing around. That's funny, but it's essentially a kids in charge, but it's—it's it's old people and yeah. old folks home. That's a polarizing movie too. Oh, I love Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep is a movie I use to judge people, like how far our friendship can go. If you like Bubba Hotep, all right, we're—we're we're gonna be great friends. If you don't, it's not that we can't be friends, but you don't get the secret code to get into the clubhouse. Right. You don't you know, get Mon the backstage pass. Monster yeah. Squad kind of does feel like a Bruce Campbell movie without Bruce Campbell in it. Like it. <laughs> well, that man, that the the cool kid was totally Bruce Campbell. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, yeah. You're he's right. like he's like I'm in the damn club, aren't I? Uh, he's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually that's, that was like uh, as a kid i was like that's the dude i want to be when i grow up but I'm, so what they should have done is but, cast, but, but, cast but 35 year old is... bruce campbell as a 13 year old <laughs> bruce campbell and steve mcqueen in monster squad <laughs> the coming of age film all right adam what's your second choice and why is it baby genius <laughs> So this maybe stretches what we were hoping to achieve here a little bit, but I think it's a great movie and I wanted to talk about it. I think it fits, but it's Incredibles too. Did you wash your hands with soap? Did you dry them? What? Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? Why? The elephant in the room. Why elephant? Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it. This I don't way. know that way. Why would they change math? Mm, math is math. Okay, math Dad. is math. Hello? Hey, honey. How are the kids? Everything's great. Is she having adolescence? And Jack Jack. <laughs> 
He's in excellent health. Oh, what the? Num num cooking. Oh my god. Cooking. <laughs> wow. Okay. That is freaky. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. You've got to. So our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? Ah! It means fire, Robert. Green Slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. Pixar film. Incredibles 1, of course, is... Uh, the first one. It is about... <laughs> <laughs> well, well put, sir. <laughs> Incredibles 2 is actually the second of the two. <laughs> so, Incredibles 1 is like a prequel to Incredibles 2? <laughs> you can say that. Man. But they made it first for some reason. <laughs> it's weird when they do that. I hate when they put prequels first. It's a classic Pixar. It's excellent in, in every way. But the plot of it, the way it switches sort of the story is that the superheroes of course have they've been criminalized essentially the bad guy the villain kidnaps the mom and dad and the kids kind of have to save mom and dad they come together at the end kind of rescue mom and dad what really makes this stand out for me in the kids saving parents genre the real arc of the story is violet is so the first one the way it ends is is her being bashful and embarrassed about who her family is and there's this boy that she likes and then whatever a teenage girl yeah and the second one is is about her coming into her own as somebody who's confident and able to lead and able to solve these sort of life or death situations even though she's not sure that she could and of course you got the baby jack jack and and that's all his crazy stuff too but the thing i like about both movies is that it's got that noir callback to like the 30s crime dramas or whatever and it does if you've watched any of those old movies it like it does it so well it has very our man flint aesthetics yes. yeah it's, um, it's very much the psychedelic spy espionage yeah. movie of the 60s that's a great way to put it yeah i don't know who hasn't seen both of these <laughs> i mean now these I, are now these are movies yeah, these are <laughs> and comic books. I'm sure <laughs> you could go down to your local comic book store. Josh, I don't read. Hard pass. <laughs> Josh have set- has the distinction of having written more books than he's read. <laughs> That's a really funny insult. <laughs> um, I, I wish I could say that I made it up, but I didn't. That's from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> oh, okay. there's an actual Garth Marenghi book in published print yes. now. That's funny. I, it's hard to talk about a movie that literally everyone has seen and sound like you're putting new content out there, but that's it. That's all I got to say about that. I think what Pixar does well, and it's shown in these movies, is it treats everything seriously on the, the subtext. Right. You know, it's a fun movie, you know, over the top and everything. But there's true emotional depth to all that stuff. So you do care about the characters and the situations they're in. Yeah, Pixar, they're really good storytellers. And it's because I think they start from a place of the emotion and the character and then and build the story around that instead of trying to inject it into a story. 
Because like from the ground up, that script is about family dynamics. Both mm-hmm. both of them really are. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that every aspect of the plot is informing that subtext. And which, there's very few throwaway stuff. There's very few throwaway. And there's very few kid films that, that do, do that. that. Yeah. Uh, there's very few. I would say most films don't aren't, yeah, that's aren't aware of their subtext yeah. or what they're trying to say. And, and, so, and that's fine sometimes. But especially like with kid films, kids are much more, they have less emotional regulation. So they're more tapped in to that kind of stuff. So I think that it's good for those films to be more emotional. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what Dr. Spock told me. Yeah. <laughs> I think important aspect of those is that it exposes kids to these emotions and lets them know that it's okay to have them. Mm-hmm. It gives them you know, an experience on being able to learn how to deal with them. I don't want to get too far afield in this, but the first time I ever saw my daughter really, really cry at a movie was when we saw Incredibles. Or not, I'm sorry, not Incredibles, Inside Out. When she really, we went to the theater and saw Inside Out. She was little. Even I, you know, it's hard not to tear up at certain parts of that movie because it is intense. It is an intense film emotionally, but... Um, and then he punched but, her in the face during the movie. It's like, we're, 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 Shut up, I'm trying to watch the movie. There's no crying. <laughs> um, well, the you know, opening the scene of Up. Is, yeah, oh, yeah. The, yeah. That's yeah. that's the classic example, and that's I mean no that's dialogue yeah. textbook storytelling. It's like it's maybe five minutes. Mm-hmm. You have a complete character arc. You know where this guy is. You stuffed a lifetime of his ups and downs. It does secondarily. It makes his grumpy character more bearable. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times where films will start with the grumpy guy. And then redeem. And you're like, man, this guy's a jerk. And then he's like, well, you know, my wife died. And they're like, oh, well, it's like too late. I've already spent an hour with you and I hate you. Right. <laughs> like the up guy, you're like, oh man, he's cool. That's just that's just him. So the other thing I was going to mention is that what Pixar does really, really well is they cast incredible people to do the work for the voiceovers. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so like Craig T. Nelson as Bob Parr, he has such an identifiable voice. So does like Bob Odenkirk, which he's Winston, well Samuel L. Jackson too, right? There's so many people who Holly they're, Hunter, they're, excuse they're, me. They're, yeah, Hollywood. Their voices are so iconic, but <laughs> Pixar does such a great job of building characters that, for some, for a guy who watches as much as we do in movies, it's sometimes hard for me to watch a cartoon with a voice actor that I recognize. All I hear is the person and not the character. I never have a problem hearing Tom Hanks in Toy Story. I don't have a problem hearing talk to Craig T. Nelson in this because I forget because the the story is so good. I can kind of get past that. Well, and the character designs. Yeah, it, are, they um, they build you around. They build you up to care more about the character than just the person who's acting. Well, and I think yeah, but I think they're also there's in a weird way like Woody and Mr. Incredible and stuff. Their looks are kind of informed by the, the actor themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. But yeah, that's a good point because like Buzz Lightyear is Buzz Lightyear. You don't think that's oh, Tim Allen, right? Right. Except when he starts doing all the cocaine and he goes to jail. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> he starts grunting. <laughs> the Benford tools in Toy Story was like, that killed me. So, <laughs> subtle, subtle. There's a That was uh, not subtle. <laughs> there's a, uh, a a pretty frequent question about what 
movie do kids recognize Tom Hanks for or whatever? And he'll be like, you know, I'm in an elevator with a mom and she'll go, look, it's Woody. The kid will be like, no, it's not. And he'll say, close your eyes. And then he'll do the a line from the kid. Then he punches him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will ever believe you. I'm Tom Hanks. <laughs> That's like a Bill Murray story right there. <laughs> anyway, good movie. Great, great uh, kids save the day film another movie that I don't mind just sitting through and watching with a kid. Like it's just a good film to, to hang out on a Saturday with. So that's that. All right, Josh, your second pick. This is more high schoolers. So I know we're, we're talking about kids, but you know, anybody under the age of 30 is a kid in my mind. So the West wing is a bunch of kids <laughs> as a kid show. It is the, the film, the faculty. From Kevin Williamson, the writer of Scream and Scream 2, and Robert Rodriguez, the director of Desperado, and from Dusk Till Dawn, comes a new science fiction thriller. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks. The students at Harrington High have always suspected their teachers were from another planet. Is this going to be on the test? This is the test. This time, they're right. Now, these six students won't just question authority. They'll have to destroy it. The faculty... Please report to the principal's office. Who's who of late 90s, early aughts folks like uh, well, Famka Jensen. She was one of the teachers and they had Josh Harnett, uh, Elijah Wood. And it is an alien invasion story where drugs save the day, which <laughs> that's one of the great things about the film. To teach his kids, you know, sometimes drugs can be quite helpful when aliens come. <laughs> it's basically Invasion of the Body Snatchers, except there's these high school kids and one of the kids, Josh Harnett or whatever, is a drug dealer in, in the, the blow or whatever that he's, he's selling. Uh, the aliens really don't like that. They're like straight edgers. So... <laughs> They have like a they got X's hard, on their yeah, they have, up and hands. They have a really hard time with the drug. And so they gotta use the drug to find out, you know, basically like mix in the thing in there where they you gotta test to see if you're an alien or not. I've got a solution. We know this out some, right? Take a hit. No way, man. I don't do drugs. Oh come on, man. If you're not an alien, you got nothing to worry about. Seeks right. This is the only way to know for sure. Yeah, come on, Stan. What are you afraid of, man? Look, we all do it. Casey. Why me first? It's just a fun horror film, and it's it it hits all the notes of nobody believes you. Nobody's listening to you. The ones that do listen to you listen to you because they're actually the bad guys. It's written by Kevin Williamson, who, of course, wrote Scream. I think that's his most popular of that. And directed by Robert Rodriguez. So it's, it's got a good pedigree. And I think like uh, John Stewart's in it in a smaller role. Yeah, Robert yeah. He's, he's one of the uh, the teachers. And so is Robert. Yeah. Robert Patrick's like the, the coach, I think. Perfect role for him. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you get him yelling at kids, and you got a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Proven since 1990. <laughs> Obviously, you haven't seen this film. I have it on the, the Divid. It is worthy of the physical media in my in my home. Josh bought it because of the Robert Heinlein reference. Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do with Jean Grey. <laughs> She's a very good looking lady. <laughs> uh, mostly it was the drugs. The yeah. drugs. <laughs> I got a real kick out of that, and that's a very that's that seems like a like something that would probably attracted Robert Rodriguez to the script. Like, yeah, okay, they used meth to fight the alien invasion. I'm on board. Is this whenever you had the drug talks with your kids? This is what you put in. Mm-hmm. Don't you put it into to, like a pin cap. Don't so. listen to the narcs, man. Sometimes <laughs> you gotta take drug. That way, I know you're not an alien. <laughs> That was my excuse all through the 90s and 2000s. Like, look, I am just proving that I ain't an alien. <laughs> or a cop. <laughs> or a cop. You can't, you gotta tell me if you're a cop. You know that. <laughs> you gotta tell me if you're a cop or an alien if I ask that's, you. That's the most spread by cop rumor ever. Just tell them that you can't lie about being a cop. <laughs> the only time I've ever seen a video of you saying that you were talking to a lamp post. <laughs> you gotta tell me if you're a cop. And it was. That was Lieutenant <laughs> I was at his graduation ceremony. It's the undercover unit. <laughs> They're very it was good a big at their deal. Job. He was the first he was the first lamppost to make lieutenant. And you're you gonna know, make fun of him. You know, he's still doing uh, traffic enforcement this to this day. <laughs> No, he was shot out by some kid with a BB gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he got, re- he got replaced by LEDs. Okay. So that's, that's a sad story. Aged out. That's anti-cop, Josh. <laughs> that, was, that was like the first five minutes of up. <laughs> Whole story arc all right there. Now we're all sympathetic to Officer Lamppost. <laughs> Pixar is going to steal that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I stole that from the Pixar vault. What are you talking about? That's right. <laughs> I hacked their server and like found their trash file. Oh, great. Now Disney's going to sue us. Come after us. <laughs> you got to have something for them to take away, man. Like, <laughs> it's another Not thing Disney. Gen Xers, Gen Xers <laughs> learned. I ain't got nothing. You can't take nothing. <laughs> can't get blood from a turnip. <laughs> You get to go to Disney World one day, and Josh is going to be one of the attractions, <laughs> like an animatronic. They're going to dress me up in the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> He's going to be Martian Control George W. Bush. <laughs> that's a that's a callback, Adam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's good, good screenwriting. That's good right <laughs> I remember when they made that joke earlier. <laughs> I was there for that. I feel a connection to this now. <laughs> It's like me and my friends telling terrible jokes. <laughs> Just like my friends, I don't like them either. You know what we need right now is a Will Forte joke. <laughs> <laughs> Will Forte, friend of the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, see, we know if you're a long-time listener, if you laughed at that joke. <laughs> Even we didn't laugh at that yeah, joke. No. Mo- moving on. <laughs> my last choice, I was going to say suburbia, but I think that's... That's a bit of a downer, considering what we've been doing. (laughs) 
you should still watch it. It's a great movie from Penelope Spheres. A lot of non-actors enrolled and spout teens kind of running away, living on their own because their their family is alcoholics and stuff like that. But a downer of a film. Like, you got to be ready for that. I do want to take one of Josh's because when you put it up there, like, I remember this. I haven't seen it in probably 30 years to the other day. But I rewatched it, and I'm actually amazed how much it well, holds, it holds up. up. Yeah. yeah, the special effects are pretty pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, like I said, this is the gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. And now, someone has opened the gate. There's this weird tearing sound there in the decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh, no. He's tearing out hair by the hands. I'm calling the police. You got demons. It is what like an 87, 88 film, late 80s. I think Stephen Dorff's first film as a child actor. It was PG-13 too, I believe. What amazes me is like looking at this against like Invaders from Mars. Like Invaders from Mars has a lot of language in it. This has none of that. Mm-hmm. But it is a truly frightening film. I remember this scaring me just witless as a kid. It doesn't scare me as much today, but like I said, the special effects are really well done. And so it helps lend to the credibility and believability of it. It's like the perfect, if people want to know what the eighties was like in, in the satanic panic and all that stuff, watch the gate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, is there like a he finds like a geode or something? Yes, like the, uh, the, the the tree know. in the backyard is like hit by lightning and everything. They okay, remove it. Yeah, and he finds a geode that apparently has like old devil goo in it. Mystics. I in remember it. Yeah. this movie. Yeah. Okay, now I remember this movie. Okay, good. Yeah, this this is a creepy movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and his his best friend, like you, you find out that his mother died a year ago, and so he's having a lot of problems kind of acting out. But you know he's. He's the the metalhead friend, and his dad does a lot of like traveling for business. Like he goes home, and the whole house is a mess. There's just like food piled up on the counters, just instead of in garbage bags and everything. But he has like this album from this band from Europe that his dad picked up, and just like, oh yeah, they knew about the old gods, and they made this album and everything of it, and the, the dark book and all that kind of stuff. And then they all died afterwards. Like it, <laughs> it really builds up the mythology on it. It's really well written. There's a lot, like you talk about the the mom dying and stuff. There's a lot of subtext yeah. of coming to terms with loss and things in this film. So it's not just a creepy horror film. There is some bite to it. 
Yeah, like I said, it's very well constructed. It's another one of those films, like, nothing comes out of the blue. Like, everything is set up. Mm-hmm. This also falls into a, a subgenre that Josh loves, which is kids finding monsters in a hole in the backyard. <laughs> yes. And listening to records backwards summoning demons. Or, yes. Maybe that was the gate two. <laughs> the gate series runs together. Favorite pastime at the uh, Josh. I guess school. the pit would probably fall into that, this category. <laughs> yes. That was the reference I was making. Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> for the people playing at home. Yes. <laughs> We've, we talked about the pit before. Mm-hmm. This has some, very scary imagery in it too it does a lot of the the tropes that a lot of movies kind of hang back from not always but mostly because it it kills the family pet mm-hmm. I forgot about and that, yeah. it kills kids which is something a lot of movies try and stray you know away from i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> i think the incredibles 2 had been served well from kid death <laughs> <laughs> jack jack doesn't make it <laughs> Just, oh, that would be a that would be a really different movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> what I love about this movie, it's got a, a great sense of humor on it. The two kids decide to like read an incantation to close the gate that the old ones are going to come back and take over the world and all that kind of stuff. We consecrate this ground, this world of light. We curse the abominations of darkness. We block the passage of evil. May the old devils depart. May they burn in the fires of their own damnation. May they freeze in the infinite cold and darkness of their own hideous creation. Isn't that kind of insulting? I guess it's supposed to be. I mean, we're trying to get rid of them. Oh, but Stephen Dorth, maybe you should coax devils back. Be like, they kind of crap here. Aren't you happier back home? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you miss your friends? We can't even get cable out here. Yeah, like Josh said, the the special effects are actually very well done. It's a mixture of like stop motion and forced perspective. There's these little tiny devil people that yeah, are, the little yeah, minions yeah. that are like you'll remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that, it's not, it's not that something is, yeah. you forget. Steve Dorff talked to his his dad. It's like, yeah, Terry told me about when they were building our house that a workman died, got trapped in the wall, and they just sealed him up in there. And he's like, no, that, that didn't happen. Then later on in the movie, like a body falls out of the wall. He's like, it's the workman. And Terry's like, I made that up. <laughs> it's a very good film. I think it's it's a great horror film for you know preteens. Fair enough. Ooh, yeah, your your kid would probably like it. Yeah, go watch it right now. I will. <laughs> we'll wait. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> Another aspect of it is like there's not really like blood or anything in it, like not a lot of it. And I think like at one point he like gets a splinter and like blood comes out. And of course, that's a setup that you know, oh, part of the way you get it in, you know, it's of course like the geode, the first part, and then right. blood, and then a sacrifice because their old dog passes away. You know, one of his sister's friends is supposed to try and get rid of it. And he just winds up throwing it in the pit in the backyard. Which is, like, completely reasonable from kid perspective. Yes. <laughs> See, that's, there's, like, exactly what they would do. Yeah, I was actually surprised about how much effort he put into, like, doing something else before <laughs> just throwing it in a hole in the backyard and covering it up. <laughs> that was the most unrealistic thing about the film. Not going yes. straight to throwing the dog into the pre-made pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before he gets in his Camaro and drives off, you know. I think those are some good films, you know. I think a lot of people should check a lot of those suggestions out. 
throwing a few more out there that kind of fall into those, the, the Lemony Snicket films mm-hmm. and TV series. The Netflix um, series is actually yeah. really good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very good. The Lost Boys, Explorers, you know, from fan of the podcast, Joe Dante, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, of course, and the Shazam movies, which I think the first one was really good. And I'm actually excited to watch the sequel. Hopefully it's just as fun as the first. So that's the end of this episode. So that means Adam has to tell us Goonies never die mm-hmm. and how to contact us. So <laughs> Goonies never to... contact us. Goonies never contact <laughs> Yeah, so check us out on Facebook and Twitter by searching for the Bricked Pit Podcast. Another way you can reach us is email brickedpit at gmail.com. Or you can uh, check us out at podcasters.spotify.com. You're going to look for the Bricked Pit. We have a clunky address now but if you want to leave us a voicemail you can still do it by finding us on the spotify podcasters app by looking for bricked pit if you'd like to know more about that you can check it out on our facebook page we'll post the full link there when we release this show until next time thanks for hanging out with us <laughs>